Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quit laughing. I'm trying. <laughs> Welcome to Gola. I'm Katie Parla, a food and beverage writer, culinary guide, and cookbook author. And I'm Danielle Caligari, a assistant professor of Italian at Dartmouth College and a certified specialist of wine. And as always, delighted to be talking with my friend Katie Parla about Italian food and culture on our podcast, Gola. Katie, well, first of all, how's it going? You've uh, done a little moving around since last I saw you, although, as ever, very limited in our COVID world. I am nestled away in New England, so uh, tell me of the outside world. Yeah, I mean, for weeks now, I've been reading all these articles about the stigma of travel during COVID, and I have to be quite honest, I feel it. I do not want to be on planes or trains or any of those things. But unfortunately, work and family life beckons. So you might see me masked up on New Jersey Transit or United Flight. Uh, Not super psyched about it, but there nevertheless. Yeah, it's happening now. We're back to being in a place where we have to do stuff. We have to live. And living, in our cases, more you than me, although also me, requires a lot of travel usually. I mean, I usually tuck away about 60 to 70,000 miles in the air a year. And I bet you beat me most of the time. So this has been a slow roll, but we're, we're starting to do a little bit of the things that we used to do slowly and with great caution. And I think that might be one of the top reasons we decided on the topic that we're discussing today, because we've talked about everyone's favorite Italian food, pizza, before Angola. And we remind everyone to roll back to that episode, which I'll cue up. I think it was almost, God, could be last summer, probably that was released. It's a long time ago. But I believe it was over 100 years ago. It was 100 years ago. That's right. That's right. Um, (laughs) In the before times. We did talk about pizza another time, but we were thinking about it again because in in this pandemic age, we are all looking to create some normalcy, speaking of, um, but also have some comfort and enjoy the things that bring us pleasure and allow us to kind of relax and, and feel good about ourselves. And pizza is all of those things, right? It is from the before times, but it is somehow also... Uh, still a comfort in the current times. And I know, Katie, that you've been thinking extra hard about pizza lately, which is saying something. And and why? (laughs) Yeah, I've, I've had pizza on my mind for a number of reasons. One, it is the dominant feature of my diet. Two, I am writing a book with Jersey City based pizza genius Dan Richer of Razza Pizza Artigianale. And I filed that manuscript on Thursday. So yay. And um, I also have been doing some Pinza Romana 
demos for, among others, Breville. And in this very complicated time in the world, when funds are tight, but I do want to be generous, I've been donating the proceeds to charities, including Unete of Oregon, which helps immigrant farm workers affected by the recent and ongoing tragic fires in the Pacific Northwest. So pizza is not just delicious and amazing and comforting, but it's also a way that I like to sort of connect to charities when possible. And I'm rambling because for any of you who have ever written a book, you know that you go clinically insane for not just the duration of the manuscript writing, but for several weeks after you hand it in. So that <laughs> that's where I'm at right now. I feel you. I feel you hard, Katie, because I am uh, in the middle of working on the last revisions of my book that's uh, going to properly go to press now post-pandemic. I'm working on a couple of other publications and I'm also teaching and teaching on Zoom is the newest, the, the hottest new trend. If you would uh, <laughs> are interested in uh, what's happening in the world, uh, the ivory tower of academia, and Zoom teaching is a place where all of your worst nightmares come true because anything that you thought you were good at is uh, promptly made ridiculous by the format. And all of your ramblings become not only more acute and more easily visible and, and held for posterity, but better than that, you can go back to the recording that you are obligated to provide for your students and watch yourself being an idiot forever and ever. So don't forget you know, that you're also mutable by your students. <laughs> right, exactly. So it's all feeling. It's all coming together, I think, but hopefully over pizza if you're as lucky as Katie. And, you know, speaking of, we have done an episode on pizza before, but we should probably give a little bit of background before we roll into what our, our real interest is today. And that's talking about the, the trends in pizza right now, because in our first episode on this, we talked about the history of pizza, how it was developed what people consider to be pizza traditionally. But pizza has un was already kind of having a renaissance, to use uh, an anachronistic buzzword, <laughs> but also it became sort of the even more relevant food of the moment when we all went into lockdown and started to do a lot of cooking at home and then shortly thereafter became profoundly bored of our own cooking and desperately needed something else to come in there. And, and it was pizza. So pizza was kind of on everyone's minds. It was being innovated in its way, but then it also exploded in a very specific way, especially in, a, in an Italian context under lockdown and following as people turned to takeout options in a place where people don't do a ton of takeout. So, you know, Katie, why don't you start us off with an average day in Italy and, you know, what you might think about as a reasonable option for takeout experience. And then, you know, talk us through the pizzas that have arisen in this moment of profound change that is sometimes tragic, but sometimes has the silver lining. 
Yeah, I mean, as you say, takeout isn't really a thing pre-COVID, with some exceptions. I mean, we've talked in other episodes about how delivery apps, Deliveroo, for example, have really sort of boomed. And by definition, the products that you obtain from those delivery apps in Italy are takeaway. They're being delivered to your home. And so some restaurants, or you know, when I say restaurants, I don't mean in the ristorante, former dining definition in Italy, I mean just a place where you get food um, in the more mainstream American definition of the word. These places began providing food for takeaway slash delivery which means like a whole set of like packaging <laughs> that would need to be purchased and methods for like providing spoons and forks and stuff like that. Just stuff that like didn't exist because when you go to a trattoria or a ristorante or osteria, generally you eat everything that you order and you take nothing away. So in the unlikely event that you're left with like some gnocchi or coda la vaccinata or something like and you ask to take it home, Generally, like there will be a scramble for some aluminum container, or maybe like stuff will get wrapped up in a really precarious container of some sort. But now there's COVID. So lots of places have had to pivot in order to provide their food for takeaway and delivery, which has also led to menus changing. I mean, imagine ordering a cacio e pepe and having that delivered to your home, like five seconds after it leaves the door of a trattoria, it's already congealed and you don't really necessarily want to eat something like that unless you do something like cut it into squares and bread it and fry it, <laughs> as you might encounter in some of the neo-trattorias or pizzerias of the Italian capital. But pizza is one of those foods that has, since its boom in popularity in the mid-20th century, in Italy has been a food that was available for takeaway. But what is pizza? Like, what are the pizzas that people are taking away? And that depends on where you happen to be in Italy. Obviously, you're in Naples. It's the thick-rimmed Neapolitan pizza, which actually way before the mid-20th century was a takeaway food. In fact, much smaller versions of what you're served today would be sold and folded in four the so-called portafoglio-style pizza, intended to be eaten standing up, as messy as that might be if you are imagining the huge, nearly two-foot diameter Neapolitan pies. Use your imagination to shrink those down, strip away most of the toppings, and just make it a much easier sort of pocket to eat. In Rome, we're talking the, the sort of gamut of different pizza options. Pizza al taglio, which is either sliced from a big, long, oblong slab, or cut out of a sheet pan. So that those are the pizza al taglio, pizza by the slice, is sort of divided into two categories, pizza alla pala and pizza in teglia. Both can be transported easily for takeaway. And then the pizza tonda, which is the like the barely any rim, crispy, round, personal pizza. So we've gone through yeah. sort of like major, at least Roman and Neapolitan versions, but now there's a huge range of different pizza options, which is the product of this like wonderful fact that pizza is one of the most versatile foods that can respond in real time to changing dining habits and economic demands. And we come back to this theme all the time, Angola, about how Italian food culture has been so profoundly impacted 
by the euro, by the economic crisis of a decade ago. And I believe that the economic crisis caused by COVID, the reverberations of which will be felt for years to come, will also continue to have this major impact on how people eat, what they eat, what they can afford, and where they eat it. There's no question about that, Katie. You're you're already being uh, proven correct by the initial information that we have coming out of of Italy right now. And um, in fact, as you're talking about this, I'm thinking of a woman I just spoke with recently who created a a service called Delivery uh, Roma recently, um, putting the kind of uh, wholesale producers of products into contact with the consumers directly just during pandemic. And one of the things that she said to me that, or I should say, the primary issue that she had to contend with was the fact that uh, most people, most businesses in Italy, uh, food businesses, that is, are not prepared for delivery in any way. And because of that, they had to do the things that you've already mentioned, which is equip themselves with the necessary materials to deliver and the personnel, the, the staff, but also, of course, rethink their menus from top to bottom. And as you're talking about pizza, you're mentioning the thing that that drew us here, which is that pizza has always been a street food, a delivery food, a quick food, something that fell outside of the bounds of the typical Italian dining experience, which is to say that most people consider the proper way to eat is either uh, sitting down at the table at home as food comes out hot from your kitchen or same thing, but out. So sitting down at the restaurant or equivalent table, having food served, eating it immediately upon service and finishing everything you want and not even considering taking home anything left over, not because of a desire or a lack of desire to eat it, nor a a desire to waste, but rather because the perception is that it simply would not be worth eating after that moment. And and pizza has- To be fair- Yeah. The pizza box is the death of pizza. So in this case, I tend to agree that once you sort of trap a steamy pie in a box, it like degrades rapidly. It I'm still gonna eat that pizza, but (laughs) it it has totally lost the very characteristics that I crave in pizza which is a tender rim that you can actually bite through. Like once it's been sort of steamed in, in a box, a Neapolitan pizza crust becomes really, really chewy. Yeah. Um, and some like crispy bits, the sogginess that's imparted through like basically a secondary steam cooking is not cute, but <laughs> not, not the cutest. But yeah, I think what's also interesting is that the sort of like the status-driven pizza category, which has really been a trend I'm thinking of Itigli, Simone Padovan's very famous like pizza tasting menu kind of restaurant situation in San Bonifacio near Verona, or even Pepe and Grani, Franco Pepe's super uber famous pizzeria in in Cagliazzo in, in Campania. Like when you go out to those places, you are given proper restaurant level service with a wine list to match, especially at Itigli. And that sort of style of service, which you find there, which sort of breaks from the norm of the pizzeria, is also echoed in some of the the offerings. Like at Itigli, the pizza is, you know, sliced for you. 
It is served like one at a time, basically, to the table so everyone can taste. That's also true at La Fucina in Rome's Portuense district. Or is it La Fucina? La Fucina. Bo. I never know the pronunciation. That's a good question. My friend Beatrice the other day said it was La Fucina. She pronounced mm-hmm. it that way. So I'm going to go with Beatrice's pronunciation and just pretend I wasn't confused about it. But that like sort of tasting menu style doesn't translate, obviously, to the takeaway slash delivery scenario. So we see a sort of interruption of this more formal pizza dining trend with the limitations that that COVID has has imposed. Because, of course, you can still you can go out to pizzerias and restaurants in Italy now, but not everyone feels up to it. And considering that yesterday, I haven't followed today's stats, but yesterday saw, you know, the most the most cases of COVID since April does not bode well for restaurants continuing to stay open in some regions. But we'll know more after the October 7th. I guess they're reviewing the COVID limitations and decrees and we'll come out with a new statement shortly. We'll know more, of course, as soon as the podcast drops. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) In any case, Katie, you're pointing to exactly what I was hoping to get to, which is to say that the thing that's so interesting about pizza is that it's both outside of the all of the kinds of things that we talk about in terms of Italian dining practice and, and, and eating habits. But it is also, but it at the same time tracks with a lot of that. So even as pizza is this thing that's like a food that, first of all, appears in a variety of different forms across the peninsula now, but has these traditional forms, especially in Naples and also Rome, it similarly has always been a takeaway food, a, a stand up and eat it and run kind of food, even though most foods like that in Italy or I should think most foods in Italy don't really have that option. It nonetheless also has been integrated into fine dining, as you said. It also does, of course, suffer from the traditional delivery methods. And, And beyond all of that, of course, it also has been innovated of late, probably more in response to the fact that it permits innovation with kind of a low risk in a kind of a low risk context, you know, with or without pandemic around us. So I know that you've been tracking this for a long time, long before you even started writing a pizza book, a specifically pizza book. But what was happening with pizza around you already a few years ago that was that was changing the perception of pizza that as it existed? And then, you know, maybe we can talk about how that folds into what's happening right now, given the, the specific crisis of the moment. But, you know, I, you, yeah. you've, been, you've been looking at this stuff for a while. So, you know, what were you eating a few years ago on the street in Rome? Well, I'll expand it to beyond Rome to include other parts of Italy, because it, it is not exclusively Rome-based shift, the pizza culture that we're right. talking about, but right. sort of nationwide. So one of the big trends is the use of ancient grains like spelt and Khorasan, aka Kamut, these grains that were cultivated in antiquity and have seen a real resurgence, not just in pizza making, but in baking and beer brewing. And I think it's fair to say that there has been quite a renaissance in grain cultivation in Italy, which for most of the late 19th to late 20th century was really focused on high yield 
wheat that had a certain protein content that was ideal for either pasta production or bread production. The natural leavening, the evito madre, so like starter-based doughs, another big trend. Canotto-style pizzas, which imagine like a Neapolitan style that's sort of like a little smaller with a really big fat rim. Canotto means dinghy, like the one that you put in the water. And what's another word for that? I want to say like gomone, but that's not English. Uh, no. Like a little inflatable raft. Right, a raft. <laughs> no. As mentioned before, my brain has been impacted by writing a book, and it's not pretty. In any event, there's also the like marketing new styles of pizza as ancient, and I think that's best demonstrated by the Pinza Romana, which was literally invented in 2001 by Corrado Di Marco. He's got a place near the Vatican, which is pretty cute. La Pratolina, highly recommend. And the, the word pinza is related to a Latin word-ish. So DeMarco and his marketing team have sort of promoted this concept that like the pinza romana is the direct descendant of ancient flatbreads, although there's like a huge two millennia interrupted <laughs> space between them. Right. Um, and in fact, pinza romana uh, is made with soy flour and rice flour. Soy flour certainly was not used in antiquity. Rice was used for medicinal purposes. To my knowledge, it was not used in baking. And so in a very real sense, the pinza romana codified dough is quite modern. And if you check out my website, katieparla.com, go to the blog, and you'll find a pinza romana. Well, I'm not really sure if I'm allowed to call it pinza romana because DeMarco has like sort of trademarked and created like a whole certification system around the pinza. So I haven't also received a cease and desist letter for publishing a modified version, which is really super easy to make. And I collaborated with John Ray of Falk, this awesome baking genius, to create a dough that would work in a, a high temperature oven. So hotter than your hotter than your home oven, but footnote like you can also cook it in your home oven if you can get up to 550 and like really crank it. Other trends, like definitely the Roman pizza al taglio spreading beyond the Italian capital to all parts of Italy, um, which wasn't the case five to 10 years ago. And generally, like the pizza that brings in like temperature contrasts, there's a lot of like burrata on pizza these days a lot of like room temperature toppings that are not melted onto pizza. Buffalo mozzarella, for example, we put on after the bake. And then the whole like sharing concept. For decades, it was the norm to have your own personal pizza. And as I mentioned, places like Itili or Pepe and Grani will serve you a pre-sliced pizza. Okay. If you are from the tri-state area in America, I know this is an offensive concept. But in Italy, we cut our pizza with a fork and knife. We do so for a number of reasons. Mainly, tip sag. Tip sag is the byproduct of cooking a pizza, a dough of a certain hydration and structural integrity in a certain temperature that just like you can't hold it up like a slice, right? When you slice it into a triangle, it doesn't hold up like, like a slice because, well, for the reasons 
that I mentioned. Like to hold it up like a slice and fold it, it's got to have that structural integrity. It's got to have been cooked at a certain temperature. The dough has to have a certain hydration. All of these things have to sort of collide and be in balance. And that's not the goal in Italian pizza making, right? The goal in Italian pizza making is something else. And having a floppy tip is not seen as a defect in Italy. I have other ideas about this. However, I I do love the Neapolitan pizza. Don't get me wrong. It (laughs) is defective in the sense the temperature of the ovens are so high. And there's such like another trend, like brag about how fast you cook your pizza. If you're cooking your pizza in under a minute and you're using like tomato that hasn't been strained in any way, like it's not going to evaporate its moisture in a way that allows you to cook the dough and not you know, like leave it kind of damp and soupy on top. It's something yeah. that, you know, Neapolitans in particular see as a point of pride, but, but yeah, yeah, I've already told you what I feel about it. <laughs> so um, well, I'm going to 100% have to mark this episode as explicit. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, I already like take my life into my hands saying scandalous things about pizza in general, like Defara yeah. pizza is not. Um, <laughs> Just because it's like the ingredients are so bad and it's so expensive. Like, come on, give me a break. Anyway, now in addition to like Midwood Brooklyn assassins, I've got Neapolitan assassins after me. This is only the best. Only Um, the best. (laughs) Yeah. What are some trends that you have experienced in your Italian travels? Well, you know, it's funny because I think the first thing, weirdly, we didn't talk about this before at all, actually. even though I know our episodes seem so tight and so firmly scripted, listeners may be surprised to learn that we mostly don't plan and just have a conversation about what we're thinking about at the time. And you said to me, let's talk about pizza for the reasons that we mentioned earlier in the podcast. And the first thing that I thought of, and then you brought it up before I got there, was the idea of putting basically a pasta condiment on pizza which I think in an American context doesn't feel like that much of a leap, but in an Italian context, it's like emoji with the brain exploding. Like there is no world in which 10 years ago, well, maybe, okay, I'm getting old enough that like 10 years ago isn't that long ago, but call it 20, putting, you know, cacio e pepe on a pizza or doing like an amatriciana pizza would have sounded so crazy And now I think those are pretty common things that you see around the idea of just sort of converting other flavor combinations or dishes into a pizza in Italy is more common and is probably also kind of an echo of an American tendency in that sense, because, you know, the whole like a Caesar salad on a pizza or buffalo chicken wings on a pizza or something are would have been impossible to even imagine in Italy. But now the idea of sort of moving a meal into a pizza is way more common. Maybe the other thing that comes to mind is the just speaking to the idea of codifying the dough and of the ways of kind of showing off through pizza or being ostentatious through pizza now. I feel like almost anywhere you go, you can, by anywhere, I mean, any city you go to in Italy now, you can find not just, you know, once upon a time, it was a big deal to find a proper Neapolitan pizzeria in a northern or central northern Italian city. 
now you will not only find a proper Neapolitan pizzeria, but you'll also find probably a really hip little pizzeria where they're doing things like working with the ancient greens, as you're mentioning, Katie, giving options that adhere to all, to any and all dietary trends or requirements, being really hyper-conscious about the sourcing of their ingredients and the kind of story behind how those all came together. And then maybe even thinking about seasonality in a way that wouldn't have been common to the you know way that you ate pizza in the past because pizza would just there were only a few options but now that you're kind of opening up the the world of pizza to any kind of topping you have people thinking in an Italian way in a very typical Italian way about changing those available toppings according to the season so you see things like fiori di zucca on a pizza versus artichokes or asparagus or the kinds of seasonal vegetables, especially that come out in certain moments and people taking advantage of that and pointing up that that specificity, I think. Yeah, for sure. I think another thing that that you have seen more of in Italy and abroad is the Associazione Vera Pizza Napolitana certifies more and more people every minute. So having an official certification that defines Neapolitan pizza production in a very specific way that idea has been proliferated quite a bit. And like on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have a lot of people saying, I don't want to do something that's dogma based. I want to like get out of the whole like strict tradition and do something totally different. So at like La Gatta Mangiona, for example, in Rome, they make pizza that the pizza yellow says is like a mix between Neapolitan and Roman dough. So kind of like blending things. And then you've got other people who aren't really saying this is like derived from Naples, derived from Rome, derived from wherever. It's a unique dough mix. And I think that's really important. And, and I just wanted to return to the cacio e pepe pizza for a second, because that that was invented by a really important pizza innovator who's actually exported his ideas, I think, now to at least four continents. Um, and that's Stefano Caligari. He's the inventor of the trapezino, which is like a little pizza pocket that you stuff with the fillings of your choice. It's a portable takeaway food in Rome. They're in, I'm not sure if they're still open in, in New York, but there are locations in Japan, Australia, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, he's like not quite reaching global dominance, but it's a pretty impressive expansion. And yeah. his pizzeria Sforno, which is not far from Cinecitta, is where the Cacio Pepe pizza was invented. Now you can get it at his other pizzerias, Tonda. And God damn it, the name is escaping me. Zbanko. Remember. I remembered it. I did something great. So like when you're making pizza, imagine like you're shaping this like disc of dough. And if you just put it in the oven, it's going to puff up in a weird way unless the center is weighted down. And typically that's done with tomato sauce or if it's a white pizza, cheese. But Stefano actually puts ice on the pizza dough. It melts and absorbs grated Pecorino Romano cheese to make this sort of like cacio e pepe paste. The Pecorino is also mixed with uh, black pepper. And if I'm not mistaken, also a little bit of like Parmigiano Reggiano. Don't quote me on that, but most Roman cacio e pepe condiments feature a mix of pecorino and parmigiano reggiano. Don't let anyone tell you differently. <laughs> Everyone says, oh, it's just pecorino. That's not true. 
lots of people put in other cheeses. It's just, it's the way it is. There are no rules sometimes. They're all rules, then they're no rules. You're absolutely right. And I always tell people cacho is a catch-all. So it means any cheese that you have lying around traditionally. I should add probably that Stefano Caligari has the same last name as me, but no relation. Um, (laughs) It may may seem surprising to people outside of the United States, but Caligari is actually a pretty common last name outside of Milan rolling into the Veneto. It means shoemaker for anyone who cares to know. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Caligari, not Metrensin. Interesting. Yeah. The... Trends that you're talking about, speaking of with, with Trapezium, and I'm pretty sure their New York location is still open, although I hate to say something like this in this particular moment, because of course that feels like tempting fate. But last time I, I checked, they were still open in New York. I think that the one last thing to add to the trends that people like Stefano Caligari are, are adding to, but, and I shouldn't say even, almost calling it a trend, I think is is undervaluing the contribution in that sense, because there are some people who are just saying, you know, let's take this really accessible food seriously. And that's exact. And I I just really enjoy that so much because to me, that's actually why, that's why I study and teach about food. That's why I do my research about it. That's why we talk about it here. That's why you write about it elsewhere. The idea is that unlike many other things that we elevate in our community or our society at large, food is something that everyone has a relationship with and everyone is welcome to have a relationship with. And the foods that we consider to be what in Italy you would call popolare or in America just call regular, probably is the best translation in that case, or, or normal or everyday, are ways for all of us to have this kind of unexpected contact with art and pizza can be elevated and beautiful and we can all feel comfortable working with something tasting something consuming something talking about something that is both average everyday normal popolare but at the same time being treated with respect and care and makes me feel in moments of like this where we're kind of all a little bit off map, all a little bit detached in whatever way it's happening to us. Pizza, the fact that it's delivered to your door makes it a pandemic food in a literal sense, but in a more metaphoric sense, it is also the kind of food that allows us all to connect because everyone feels confident enough to talk about pizza, to have opinions about pizza, to enjoy pizza or reject some pizzas, right? And when we give it time and space like this, we let everyone into that rarefied conversation about something that is a cultural a bene, right? A, a good for all in that sense. That was beautifully put. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm, you know, a good solid glass uh, deep into my pet now, and I haven't had much to eat today. So maybe I'm sounding pathetic. <laughs> Daniel's getting lit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> By the way, my mom today was like, should we open this bottle of wine that Danielle gave us? And, I, and I'm like, it's a Magnum and it's a Monday. That's so no. Magnum Mondays, 100%. Regular like, show. I have work to do tomorrow, Joanne. <laughs> break. 
I am as ever delighted to hear about you and your mom talking about possibly drinking wine that I bought you. So I'm well, gonna... that is for Christmas. It's a delicious, <laughs> delicious Slovenian wine. And it's like one of those things that I kind of like, hoarding's not the right word because I just want it for a special occasion. And like, I know Mondays are chill and everything, but also it'll be a lot of wine for tonight. And I just feel like maybe we'll have it a different evening. Fair enough. Well, Katie, why don't we put that one on the books? Maybe we can, because it's going to be a while probably before we can do a proper live event again. Maybe we could do a little video event where we open some good bottles and drink together and let everybody watch us. Wonderful. It seems like fans enjoy that. Wonderful. Wonderful. Speaking of fans, thanks for the new supporters. I was informed by Danielle that we are breaking even hooray yeah that is Um, correct (laughs) so no truly from the heart we appreciate your support we love that you guys listen and send us really nice messages they bring great joy who are our new supporters well i'll tell our old is new again and vice versa but i will say that we can call out our friend john kubik who uh, re-upped the uh, subscription that was supporting us already, but wanted to let us know that, you know, our listeners are still out there and enjoying us even when we go dark for a few months. And we really appreciate that. And we've heard from lots of you, uh, especially over the last few weeks. And we're just, honestly, every time I say it, I'm at a loss for words because honestly, it's just like so touching to to have people reach out and just say that they're listening to us, that they're enjoying the podcast, that it's making them feel good. It makes us feel good. And that's why we do it. And every time we hear from you, it lights up our day. So thank you. And keep listening. Tell other people to listen because the more listeners we have and the more subscribers and the little bit of cash you throw us makes a huge difference. And Katie and I are... 100% going to plow through and keep this up as long as you're out there. So, you know, look forward to tons more episodes of Gola. Have a pizza party. Listen to the first one. Listen to the second one. Look out for more and hopefully increasingly more interesting and strange and wild episodes coming up and some hopefully fun video things that we're trying to work out as we figure out how to do things in a more dynamic way under the current conditions. And in general, go enjoy some uh, pizza. And, uh, you know, in the Italian tradition, it would be a cold Coca-Cola. In my case, as I mentioned, I've got a a frothy pet gnat in front of me. Katie, I heard, was putting a crazy straw in a magnum for Monday. Mm -hmm. Whatever whatever floats your boat, or as it were, a gomone. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever floats your canotto exactly (laughs) yeah i mean i would say like do a pizza party or a pinza party and (laughs) yeah like i i get like fixated on like doughy things every now and again and the pizza romana is a really fun thing to make if you go on katieparla.com it's the first post on the blog page and is so simple it does take a couple well not a couple of days you start it one day and then you ferment it overnight you ferment the dough overnight and bake the next evening and it's easy if you can like if you're into pizza on the grill you can do it that way if you only have a home oven that's cool too if you're lucky enough to have like a breville pizzaiolo that is like the perfect setting 
but it's super, super fun to make. And it's kind of weird too, because it's made with bread flour and <laughs> soy flour and rice flour. Soy flour, I actually found was a little bit difficult to track down. I tried in a couple of states and it wasn't as simple as I had hoped. Bob's does sell it, although I wasn't able to track down in any retail locations. You can find it on the internet. Otherwise, as the post says, just replace that soy flour quantity with rice flour. You get like a super flavorful, very airy, light, and above all, very digestible crust. And you can top it however you want. And it's super delicious. And I highly recommend it. And uh, I'd also say like watch out for on my Instagram because I might be doing a live demo with La Cucina Italiana next week. So that's at Katie Parla. And Danielle's Dr. Caligari's cabinet. What else have you got cooking that, you, that you'd like to share with people? You know, Katie, I've got all kinds of stuff on deck, but it's mostly Dante related. And I know people are just about over that. I do, I will be in California briefly coming up for a distance uh, wine tasting in Oakland. Uh, everybody can find out the details on my social media for that. But in general, I'm just coasting along, thinking about making pizza and drinking wine with you at a safe distance or in person when eventually that happens shortly. And I'm thinking that, you know, we should lock and load a few more events for our Golozi. So let's think about that. And in the meantime, everyone, uh, follow us, subscribe, tell your friends and eat pizza like Katie just told you. Yeah. 